things because we're a new church. We're just trying different stuff out. So I love the fact that you're here. I love that you found your way in here. And uh, wherever you're at on your spiritual journey with God, we love the fact that you're checking things out. Um, well, let me ask you guys this. I mean, how many of you guys have, have just um, found yourself really having a difficult time resisting going to Costco on a monthly basis. Does anybody else have a hard time resisting going to Costco on a monthly basis? Okay, some of us don't have a problem with that. I have a, I have a hard time with that. And is it just me, but if I leave Costco, Costco spending less than $300, that's a win? Is that, is that, maybe that's just me? Okay. Now, for some of us, for some of us, uh, you actually, uh, you and your families, when you're hungry, you don't go to McDonald's, you actually go to Costco. I know this because you go to Costco for the free samples, am I right? You just wander through there, you're like, we're just going to go to Costco, and there's free samples. We can have a full meal for free at Costco, right? Because we love the fact that Costco goes, hey, we got free samples for you, go ahead and try all kinds of things, right? So I love that. Samples are so great, aren't they? Samples are fantastic. Why? Because you get to taste and see if you like something or not. Now, I remember uh, a number of months ago, I, I came across this ad on, online for this new protein powder. And they were offering free samples if you just typed in your info. So, of course, I'm like, oh, yeah, I'm in. So I type in all my info. And, of course, they ship their powder to me. And I'm so glad I got a free sample because it was the worst tasting stuff I'd ever had in my entire life. I mean, this stuff claimed to make my muscles explode, knock 10 years off my age, and give me a year-round tan. I mean, this thing was offering, like, all of this stuff. And even if it was true, it tasted horrible. It was just awful. So I'm so thankful for things like free samples. Now, why do we love that? Why do we love getting free samples? Because the reality is none of us want to be deceived. None of us want to have the, the wool pulled over our eyes. We live in a skeptical world. And, and it's actually really foolish of us to just blindly believe uh, whatever the next greatest thing actually is. We need to test it out. We need to kick the tires. We need to see for ourselves if what this thing is offering is actually true. And the fact of the matter is this. God knows that each and every one of us needs to test him out as well. God knows this. In fact, Jesus arrives on the scene in human history 2,000 years ago. And, and he sees how easy it is for people to be deceived about what's best for them in their life. You see, Jesus shows up in, in, in first century Israel, and he's walking around, and he's on this mission to set the world back right. And he's come and showing through word and through deed to turn people back to what God designed them for, to have a vibrant and vital relationship with him, with one another, and all of creation. And the problem is this, is he notices and he sees that the people are confused. They're totally misled about what a relationship with God actually is supposed to look like. Because people are seeing these religious superstars doing and saying one thing. And then they're seeing these other people chasing and worshiping after other things like money and pleasure and power. Some are worshiping the Roman emperor. Some are worshiping the local deities of the day in that time. 
See, they're seeing all of these things and they're wondering, which one's right? Does it really matter? Maybe I can just choose. Maybe I can just kind of like the flavor of ice cream, have an opinion about one and go, that's it, I'll go with that one. There's so much confusion that Jesus comes to turn around and it's a challenge back then and it's the same challenge people face today. See, wherever you're at with God this morning, we live in a world that is searching for something real. They're searching for something that's true. They're searching for something to put their life on. And what's really confusing is there's all kinds of challenges to determine what's right and what's not out there. And part of the problem is this. I mean, I'll be honest with you. Part of the problem is those who claim to follow Jesus don't always help bring clarity to the answer. When we see people on TV, can I get an amen, where you see street signs or, or, or hate speech on social media, you see over and over again people that are claiming to follow Jesus don't seem to be acting like Jesus. It's adding confusion to the world's search for what's true and what's real. In fact, this past week, I was on vacation with a bunch of great friends of mine. Every year, we get to go away together. Our, our wives are amazing and saying, okay, yeah, get out of the house. And, and we go uh, one time a year and spend a weekend together just having a great time, going to the beach um, and eating out and catching up. And one of my friends was talking about, about his wife. And his wife was, was basically disillusioned with the church, that she's actually stopped attending church because she is so tired of seeing people who claim to follow Jesus seem to be irrelevant in the conversations that are happening in our culture. And she's like, I don't even want to have anything to do with this. And the problem is, instead of choosing to step into the conversation and being a voice for Jesus, you know what she's done? She's chosen to isolate and to exclude herself from sharing a voice about Jesus at all. Now, some of us, when we think about this whole idea of sharing Jesus, we get nervous, we get sweaty, we get, ah, oh, this is not for me, I get that. Some of us feel ill-equipped. Some of us feel unworthy about sharing about Jesus because we look at our own life and we think, I'm not perfect. That's right, none of us are. But we're afraid too. We're afraid of being rejected. We're afraid of having our life being associated with some of the other examples that are out there that are really confusing. And yet... When people encounter Jesus, the real and true Jesus, what happens? Their lives are changed. They find hope. They find freedom. They, they, things start to change in their life where people actually start to notice there's something different about you. And it's not just that you're busy on a Sunday morning. Something else is going on in your marriage and in your relationships and in your finances. You're doing things that are different. It's attractive. It's compelling. Why is that? So if Jesus is truly who the Bible says he is, the world's true Lord and Savior. How on earth does God expect to convince people he's true and real in light of all of the confusion that's out there? See, what we're doing today is this, is we're wrapping up our series called Jumping In. We've been doing it pretty much most of the summer. And in fact, Michelle Cater was supposed to wrap it up last week, but I thought, you know what? It makes so much sense for us to wrap up today, and this is why. Because jumping in is all about taking our next step to experience God and his love and his truth and his life with him 
But inevitably, when you choose to take another step with God, you know what it leads to? His mission in the world. And so it makes sense for us to have a conversation about what that looks like for us. And so today what I want to do is I want to look at how Jesus calls his people to live in such a way that brings hope, that brings clarity to a broken and unconvinced world. And wherever you're at, I know some of you in here are like, I, I, Aaron, I'm just checking Jesus out. I, I, I don't even know what you're talking about. Here's the good news. If that's you, I love that you're here. This is a safe place. But in, in, and also I want to say this. I hope that today you get a little bit more clarity on the purpose that God has for the church. So whether you believe in Jesus or not, you understand firsthand the intention behind what we're called to become. All right, if you have a Bible, turn with me to Matthew chapter 5, verse 13. Matthew chapter 5, verse 13. If you're new to the Bible, that's great. It's in your bulletin. It's up on the screen. And let me give you a little context as we dive in. Matthew 5, verse 13. Right before this passage, Jesus has just started speaking his most famous sermon, known as the Sermon on the what? Sermon on the Mount, okay? Here's, the, here's a beautiful picture of it. Now, here's the great news. This is right next to the Sea of Galilee in Israel. I have been there. It is absolutely beautiful. Here's what I want you to do. Start saving now because I'm taking all of you with me in the fall of 2020. Start saving now. We are going to go. It's going to be a life-changing journey. Let's go. Start doing it, all right, you guys? I just want to give you a shameless plug for a year from now, okay? All right, so we're going to go together. Um, but the Sermon on the Mount is where Jesus does what? He lays out the vision and the values of his kingdom. He lays out what's called the Beatitudes, the, the blessings. Those who are happy or blessed are going to experience something new. And why does Jesus do this? If you recall in the Bible, and if you're new to the Bible, that's okay. But it, it, way back in the Old Testament, Moses was on Mount Sinai, and God was giving him the law to give to his people in a very similar way. What is Jesus doing? He's on a mount sharing with his people a new way that God is going to be relating to his people. And it's through Jesus, God's own son. And so he's laying out all of these blessings and values of his kingdom. And who's there? Are they the religious elite? Are they the morally perfect? No. Check this out. They're ordinary people like you and me. They're fishermen. They're farmers. They're peasants. Hardly the kind of spiritual elite people that are going to go ahead and change the world. And this is what Jesus is saying to them. He's talking about this new relationship with God. He's going to be renewing his people, renewing God's people to be what? To be a blessing in the world as Israel was always supposed to be. Israel had failed in God's plan to be a light to the nations, to demonstrate God's blessings on their life. And so Jesus was coming to say, I'm doing something new. And this was all a part of God's plan. And so Jesus is inviting people to experience him in a whole new way. One of the things that's really powerful is that God's promises were not somewhere down going to be fulfilled in the future alone. They were going to become crashing into the reality of today. 
So when we talk about heaven in this context, heaven means the presence of God. And what Jesus was offering to his people in his kingdom is this. As they place their faith in Jesus, the presence of God would be dwelling in their lives right now. Living under the good rule and reign in the presence of God on earth. We don't have to wait. It starts the moment we have faith in Jesus. So this is all set up. Right? So Jesus is laying all this up. And then what does he do? Once you understand this, now it's not time to huddle around in a little, and yeah, it's us. It's all, we're a part of the team. Yeah. No, no. This is just the beginning. And this is what Jesus says to them in verse 13. You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt should lose its taste, how can it be made salty? It's no longer good for anything but to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city situated on a hill cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and puts it under a basket, but rather on a lampstand, and it gives light for all who are in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to yourself. No. Give glory to your Father in heaven. See, Jesus uses these two contrasting images of salt and light to challenge the Jews of his day, but also to challenge us today. So what does salt do? Well, we all know what salt does, right? Well, salt was used in the ancient world for all kinds of things. But the two most prominent in this passage is the fact that it preserved food. They didn't have refrigerators back then. They needed salt to preserve it, to keep things from going bad. It's almost Jesus, it's like Jesus saying the world without God's intervention, left to itself, will self-destruct. I want you to be salt. I want you to keep it from going bad, not on your own ability, no. Not on your own moral authority, no. But on my work in your life. Salt preserves. What else does salt do? Salt adds seasoning. It creates a sense of flavor to things, right? And so it's, it's fantastic to use when we're cooking. It's one of those things that is so important to make foods and bring out the flavor and make it distinctive. The point he's making is this, is that the goal of us as his people is actually to create a sense of distinction from the way of living in the world. See, when we make Jesus the king of our life, he starts to reorient us towards his priorities when we start to put him first in our relationships, it changes how we treat one another. We're compassionate. We're, we're more patient, not on our own capacity, but on God's power and strength and modeling. It changes the way we do life. His goal for us, what? Is to thrive. Jesus wants us to thrive in every aspect of our life. In our relationships, in our dating, in our health, in our finances. Why? All by following his word by trusting in his promises to live out a life pleasing to God. And so this is distinctive. This is counter to the way the world tends to operate. And so what does this do? When you and I start to really live this out, what happens? People start to take notice. Wait, why do you do that? Why, why do you act like that? Why do you give up parts of your week to serve and to hang out with people that you don't really know? What, why do you do that stuff? What do you, wait, you, you're giving? You're giving to the church? What, why would you do that? 
It's, it's so expensive to live in our part of the world. Why, why would you do that? And people start to wonder. Jesus uses this other idea of light. So not only are we to be salt, but we're also to be light. And what does light do? Well, it shines in the darkness. Yeah. Remember years ago, a, a group of buddies of mine and I, we had just graduated college, and uh, we were spending the night at one of our buddies' houses, and we came up with this idea. I think it was like at one in the morning. Hey, let's drive you Summity and go hike Half Dome. Okay, it's a perfect idea for a 23-year-old to do that at 1 a.m. in the morning. Let's go. So we throw up a bunch of stuff together. We, we get in the car. We drive about four to five hours to Yosemite. And we're, we're a little bit late. If you've ever hiked Half Dome, we're a little late to start the hike. It's about 8 a.m. in the morning. You usually want to start about 5 or 6 a.m. So we go, let's do it. So we load up all our stuff. We start hiking up, up Half Dome. And it's incredible. And we start to get to the top. And it's afternoon. And now it's time to turn around. One of the things that we know is going to happen is it's going to get dark on the trail. Now, there's some other really smart people on the trail that, that came on this hike as well that weren't with us. Well, they didn't bring any flashlights. We had brought lights. That was the one thing we did bring. So we, we start walking together, and it's sun is setting, and we're going down the mountain. And without light, it's actually a pretty dangerous trail at some parts. And we say, no, no, you can stay with us. And we join together, and we help light the way. And without the light, we wouldn't have gotten home safely, and nor would they. That's really important. In fact, Matthew, the writer of this gospel, he talks about this idea of light. Why? Because Israel was supposed to be a light. Israel, the way they were supposed to live, was to show the way of a real and proper relationship with God. And now Jesus has shown up. And in other parts of the Gospels, he says, I am the light. I am the light of the world. If you want to have a proper relationship with God and thrive, it's through a relationship with me. And now my people are called to be that light because of me. And so in the midst of all of this, what does this assume? To be salt and light actually assumes something about us as his people. If we call ourselves a follower of Jesus, it assumes the fact that people who follow Jesus are actually doing life with people who aren't. I mean, to be salt and light means that we're rubbing shoulders with other people on the journey of trying to figure out what's real and what's not. Now, if I were to give you uh, an exercise to do, it's actually a really fun exercise. I, I, I would sit down with you. I'd say, okay, I want you to write down 100 people that you know, 100 people that you know that do not believe in Jesus. And, and you'd be like, oh, that's kind of a weird exercise. And then you maybe start writing. It's like, okay, yeah, all right, I'll start. I'll play, I'll play. And the point is this. It's not to get all, all 100. You're just, the point is this. You're going to learn something by doing this exercise. As you start to write down, a hundred people, you'll notice a couple of things. I go, well, what did you learn from this? And many people, when they say, well, here's what I've learned. One is, I know a lot of unchurched people. I know a lot of unchurched. It's like, that's, that's great. And it's other people. I was like, I don't know a single unchurched person. I don't know anybody. I don't know people like that. It's like, oh, either way for you. Think about that. What's your next step? Being salt and light. 
what does that mean for you? Maybe for some of us it means, I actually realize I haven't had a spiritual conversation about Jesus with any of my unchurched friends. For others of us, we realize, oh my gosh, I don't have any unchurched friends. I need to get some. I, I need to meet some other people. I actually need to stop attending 27 Bible studies so that I can actually engage in humanity. And I, you know who you are, and God bless you, but you need to get out there, all right? Now, some of us in here, when we hear about this whole idea, we're like, ah, Aaron, it starts to feel like people are a project. Like, like we're conditionally building relationships with people so we can finally, you know, convert them. And the reality is this. No. People are precious in God's sight. People are not projects. God loves them so much, he sent his own son to die on their behalf. Right? And so when I think about that, I realize, hey, as a good friend, what's my, what's my purpose? It's to bring the greatest good to the people in my life. How can I help bring out the greatest good in people's life? And what is the greatest good? Well, if you're a follower of Jesus, you recognize that it's a relationship with God because it affects everything else. And so people are not projects at all. And if we have ever made you feel like a project, if you're sitting in this room and you're like, I'm still checking Jesus out, I don't know, and you have felt like a project, I am so sorry. That's not Jesus. Jesus loves you so much. So you have never met a person that isn't valuable to God. Every single person is. Now, some of you in here are thinking, I get this. They're like, Aaron, this is not for me. This is not really my thing. You know, I'm not really stoked on this whole idea of what we're talking about today, but, but I want you to hang with me here for a second. Here's the big idea I want you to capture from, from this morning. It's this. It's that God's love for the unconvinced is found through a convinced and compassionate you. God's love for the unconvinced is found through a convinced and compassionate you. Why do you need to be convinced? If you aren't sold out that Jesus Christ is Lord and Savior in your life and see the benefits of it, then your life isn't going to be salty. It's not going to be distinctive. And in fact, what happens is when we allow our fear of rejection to, to color or um, to push us away from following Jesus in moments, We'll, we'll kind of descend into just acting like the rest of the world does. In fact, uh, there's a graphic here I forgot to show you. What has happened in my life is this, is when I have lived my life in a way that hasn't put Jesus as the priority, I just do what everyone else does. And I don't look anything different. And so when I even hear about sharing Jesus with people, what I have done is I've tended to want to market Jesus instead of model Jesus. I'd rather like, like hey, I'm salt and light. Let's get it on a t-shirt, right? Let's, let's, get on, let's put on a bumper sticker. Let's, let's, and what happens is this. You might have some good intentions, but what I have found in my life is it's just like a big arm sticking out in front of people saying, I'm different than you. People don't need another marketing campaign. They need people to authentically model Jesus in their life. That is the most attractive and compelling thing that we could possibly do. We live in a culture that is so sick and tired of being let down. They don't need more marketing. They don't need more t-shirts. 
don't need more of that stuff. They need people rubbing shoulders with them to show this is what it looks like. It's messy, it's ugly, but it's beautiful following Jesus. And I'm not perfect, but this is where my life direction is heading. And check it out for yourself. Jesus changes things. And so for some of us in here thinking, okay, well, that's not really me. You know, I'm not really gifted in that area. Well, here's what I want to do. The remaining part of our time is this, and we're going to zip through this. The great news is this. What has often held you and I back from embracing our vocation as salt and light is thinking that we have to be someone beyond ourselves. God said, I want everyone to be different so that you will impact different people's lives. In fact, I've given you a way of sharing Jesus that is unique to you. And part of maybe the resistance that we've had in being salt and light is we thought, I've got to be like a Billy Graham. I've got to be like a that person or a this person. In fact, in my own personal life, I remember thinking, Jesus, you're changing my heart. You're changing my heart. I actually am starting to care about other people outside of the church. I know it's weird, but I'm starting to kind of, wow, I kind of have a, you know, what's going on? But I don't know how to share that without being awkward and weird. I'd seen my pastor or, or my brother-in-law. It's like when they would talk to people, he, they would be able to turn a conversation in the most amazing way to a spiritual moment. It's like the, the heavens would part, the, the sun would shine upon the moment. You'd hear angels and people would give their life to Jesus because of these guys. And I was like, that's not me. That doesn't happen with me. And I started to realize, oh my gosh, guess what? It's a process. And God has given me a unique personality and story and experiences to share Jesus in my way. Some of you heard the story before, but I was on staff uh, at Mariner's Irvine many years ago, and I was known as the sports and adventure pastor. What an amazing title I had. <laughs> Can you believe that? Okay. So uh, I'm, I'm in my cubicle working. A guy walks up to me out of nowhere, and he goes, hey, I heard you're the sports guy. I go, yeah. And we started talking about football or something. He was there doing community service work because he was, um, he'd been struggling with drugs. And so he's asking me questions, and here's what he said. The next question, he goes, hey, Aaron, what does the Bible say about marijuana? And I said, that's a great question. The grass withers and the flower. I said, no, I'm just kidding. I said, you know, that's a great question. That's an honest question. Let's talk about that. And so I said, by the way, do you know why this whole church thing is even here? Like, do you know what the purpose of this whole thing is? He goes, not really. I'm just trying to, you know, get my hours in. I'm like, great. And so I go, let's sit down. Let's just talk a little bit about that. So I sit down with him. Now, I am a professional Christian, right? You got, you're, you're a pastor. Like, you, you're paid to be a Christian. It's like, no. But, but I get what you're thinking. That's not true. But so it's like, I should know stuff. So I'm sitting down with him. I'm like, this is my opportunity. I get to share about Jesus with him. And I walk him through. And I use this cool illustration. It's called the bridge illustration. Some of you might have heard of it. And I'm walking him through this bridge illustration. Like, this is where we are without God. This is where we need to get to. And God did this for us. But if we don't respond, this is we're disconnected from God. And, and he's listening. And I'm like, where are you at on the bridge napkin illustration? And he's like, uh, I'm probably right there. Like, nowhere even close to God. I'm like, that's really disappointing. And I said is there any reason why you wouldn't want to take a step and say yes to Jesus? And he said, I'm not ready. And I felt like such a failure. I was like, this is my moment. 
I'm a professional Christian. I'm supposed to do this. This is supposed to just happen. No. A couple weeks later, my friend calls me up. He goes, Aaron. He goes, I've become a Christian. I said, what? <laughs> He's like, yeah, I got invited to this thing, and, and I heard about Jesus, and it was a lot more clear than when you shared it. And, uh, <laughs> and he gave his life to Jesus. And I was like, what? <laughs> what about me? What about my? It was about me. It was about me instead of about him and about what God was doing in him and the process in which the Holy Spirit was working in him. I was just part of the process. I was one person in a link of relationship or conversations that eventually opened him up to the place where God got him to a place where he was ready. And you need to understand that. You're part of a long process. Do you know this? It takes on average between 7 13 times for a person to make that decision. They need to hear it a number of times in different ways. And so here's the point. It's a process. And you have a style that shares about Jesus that I want you to embrace. So I'm going to go through these fairly quickly. So follow along in your notes. Get your pens out. We're zipping through this. And then we're going to take communion together, all right? So here's the deal. First way. You can help unconvinced people understand a little bit more about Jesus through this style. Here's the first style. It's the direct style. Direct. And the Apostle Peter is the poster child for this. Clear, simple, direct. Now, the Apostle Peter, for those of you who don't know, he had actually let Jesus down at his most pinnacle moment. And he was devastated by that. Jesus dies on the cross. Peter denies him three times. He feels humiliated for doing that because Jesus rises from the dead and shows up to Peter and he reinstates Peter. And so Peter understands the grace of God in a way that nobody else can understand. And he's like, I can't wait to tell people about Jesus. And so he's going around in the book of Acts and he's telling people about Jesus. He goes to this one uh, kid who's grown up lame. And in the midst of that, this, this, this kid is asking Peter for money. And he goes, I don't have gold, but I have this. In the name of Jesus, get up and walk. And the kid gets up and walk. Everybody is astonished. Everyone's in an uproar. What has just happened? And Peter almost calmly just says, why are you surprised? This is Jesus. This is Jesus. And so what does he say? He says, therefore, repent and turn back so that your sins may be wiped out. It's, ve it's very clear. Turn back to God, and he'll forgive you of all your sins. You'll have a new life with God forever. And if this is you, there's some strengths and there's some cautions with this particular style. You just want to cut to the chase. But, and there's some beauty about that. But this can also feel a little bit in your face. And so the next step to develop, if this is your style, like I just want to make it very clear for people. Here's your next step in developing this. Take a note if this might be you, is people need to know you care before you share. Right? They need to know you care. Listen to their story. Spend time with them before you start clarifying how Jesus has changed your life. That is you. Direct style. Second style, the intellectual style. It's like the Apostle Paul. So Paul, 
His whole life's been changed by Jesus. He shows up to Greece. He's in Athens. He sees all this idolatry there. And in the midst of that, Paul stood in the middle of the Areopagus. This is where all the philosophers and stuff would debate and new ideas would be kind of, you know, mused upon. And he said this, people of Athens, I see that you're extremely religious in every respect. For as I was passing through and observing the objects of your worship, I even found an altar on which was inscribed to an unknown God. Therefore, what you worship in ignorance, this I proclaim to you. The Apostle Paul was paying attention to the, the thoughts and the beliefs of that culture. He did not quote Bible scriptures to them. Some of us, we want to quote scripture. The Bible isn't authority in the culture. They're, they're, it's like, okay, yeah, your sacred text says that, great. It doesn't mean that the Bible isn't vital and central and important. It just means that when we're having spiritual conversations, the Apostle Paul, the intellectual style, understands, I've got to engage with where people are at. And that might be you. So here's a couple tips. There's some strengths to this style. You, you know, you've got reason, you've got analysis, you've got logic. Here's the caution. Attitude is really important. You can come across as arrogant. You can be focused a little bit too much on winning an argument. No one gets argued into the kingdom of God. You're just clearing obstacles and debris for people to see Jesus. If you have that intellectual style, focus on being gentle and respectful in your conversations. That's you. Third one, testimonial style, the blind man. This blind man is changed by Jesus. And people are wondering, what happened to this guy? We all knew he was blind. He was absolutely changed by Jesus. If you've got the testimonial style, your life has been changed by Jesus. You're not hung up on all the theology and the doctrines. and You're just like, I have no idea. My life's just different. It's just different. The blind man in a very similar way. So a second time, they summoned the man who had been blind and told him, give glory to God. We know that this man is a sinner. They're talking about Jesus. He answered whether or not he's a sinner. I don't know. One thing I do know, I was blind, and now I can see. See, some of you, you have a story to tell. Some of you think your story doesn't make a difference. I want to caution you. It has more of an impact than you realize. More and more people connect with an ordinary person's story than a crazy, outlandish story. Some of you, you've grown up, uh, up in the church, and you're like, what's my story? Your life has been changed by Jesus, and there's other people around you that would be impacted by it. So don't discount your story. Here's the other thing. How do you develop that? Practice your story. See, what's really interesting is this, is we feel like if we're going to have a conversation with somebody about how Jesus has changed our life, we can feel like I've got to script it out and it's got to be all awkward and uh, 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 and then people are like, ooh, this, I don't like this, stop talking. And you're like, okay, see, that's why I don't do this. No, no, no. The more you practice your story in a concise manner, what was my life before Jesus? How did I find Jesus? What happened when I started to follow Jesus? People are interested in that. But you need to practice it. Why? Because in those impromptu moments where you're with a friend or connecting with somebody and spiritual matters come up, you can start to share your story in a way that's authentic and connects with where they're at. Practice your 
story. Next, the interpersonal style. Some of you have this style. You are great at building friendships and relationships. You, you love that. You're a people person. You, you love to delve into personal life issues before you talk about spiritual matters. And this guy, Matthew, in the New Testament, is a tax collector. He's the most hated guy at the time. People couldn't stand tax collectors because of all the abuse that they carried out on people. And then Jesus, he has an encounter with Jesus. His life has changed. What does he do? He goes home, he throws a party. And he invites all of his friends, all of his friends who don't believe in God, don't follow God or anything. And he brings them all to introduce them to Jesus. And all these people come, they're interacting with Jesus. And then the Pharisees, the religious leaders see this and they're like, what? You hang out with those people? And Jesus, what does he say? He says, oh, the healthy do not need a doctor. I've come for the sick. I've come for those people who need me. So if you care about relationships and friendships and developing the trust and respect over a period of time, this is your style. You are compassionate. You focus on people. Here's the caution. You oftentimes can choose friendship over getting around to the good news of Jesus. This is kind of my tendency. And so one of the things you have to understand is that at some point you want to introduce God's story in your life. And so developing that is learning what is God's story and, and, and talking about that with your friends when the opportunity opens up. And so maybe for some of you, you need to practice learning what is God's story? How do I articulate that? Next, the invitational style. The Samaritan woman. The invitational style. Now, this is for those of you, you are the ones who find, oh, look at there's a concert coming up. Okay, I'm going to invite all my friends. And you're the one who's pulling up in a minivan with like 12 people, all right? You're that person. You love gathering people and bringing them places. And one of your strengths it is helping people hear about Jesus from others who you feel are more equipped to do it. Now, there's a strength to this. And so the model for that is really the Samaritan woman who engages with Jesus at the well. She encounters Jesus overwhelmed. What does she do? She runs back to her village and says, look, come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? And they left the town and made their way to him. She brought all of these people to encounter Jesus. This might be your style. You're an inviter. How do you develop this gift? Well, man, you look at opportunities that different churches are putting on events, and you think about friends. How might they enjoy this or experience this? Uh, you, you, you look at um, your, 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 your realm of relationships, and you think this person might really appreciate going to something like a parenting seminar. Or, or something for kids, or, or something about apologetics, or, or barriers to coming to faith, whatever it might be. Now, here's the caution for you, is you might rely so much upon other people that you might neglect your own story, that you actually have a story to share, but you think somebody else is more equipped and better. No, 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 you have a story to share. And so that's kind of a, a caution for you. Lastly, and I love this one, this is the service style. Some of you are amazing at serving. You just love, just, if everyone just stopped talking and started serving, the name of Jesus would be proclaimed in a way more powerful way in the world. That's you. And your banner is this 
wonderful woman, and I love her name, Dorcas. How awesome is that? That is a great name right there, Dorcas, all right? Translated Tabitha. And why is she the poster child for the service style? Check this out in Acts 9. In Joppa, there was a disciple named Tabitha, which is translated Dorcas. She was always doing good works and acts of charity. We live in a world that is more compelled by serving than anything else right now. The 18 to 35-year-olds in particular, the most unchurched demographic in our nation, they don't care about what you want to share until they see it lived out in your life. The serving style is powerful. And so notice in verse 37, at that time she became sick and died. Now, she was well known for her serving. And notice what Peter does. Peter sent them all to the room. He knelt down, prayed, and turning toward the body, he said, Tabitha, get up. And she opened her eyes, saw Peter, and sat up. She was so impactful, so valuable. In the name of Jesus, Peter resurrected her. Okay? So which style do we all want to be? Okay? Come on. All right? The service style. So here's some strengths to the serving style. You're patient. You find joy in meeting needs. You attach value to the tasks that you accomplish for God. Now here's the caution. Words are no substitute for actions, but actions are also no substitute for words. At some point, people need to understand why. Romans 10, 14, why? It's because of Jesus. When we serve people, and they say, thank you. A next step or an opportunity for you, if you have this style, is not to just say, you're welcome, but maybe to say, it's all because I love Jesus. Whatever it might be, that's not too imposing, not too awkward, but just like, it's all because of Jesus. And so, what can you do to develop this style? Look at ways every day to go, how can I serve? God, how can you help me to serve? I don't want to impose on people. Give me wisdom in how every day can be a bunch of serving opportunities for you. Church, can you imagine? Can you imagine if we all embraced our style? Can you imagine if, if you and I said, okay, God, I don't have it all figured out. I'm not perfect. And God's like, I know, that's okay. But if you and I all said, this is kind of my style, I think, and I want to really start to leverage that. I want to start to lean into that. And we commit to being the salt and light in our community. Can you just imagine how many people might take further steps towards Jesus? Can you imagine the amount of spiritual conversations that will be happening throughout the week in your workplace, in your homes, in your neighborhood, as a result of us taking another step to say, I think this is my style. I, I think I want to be salt and light and do it in this way that's more me. God can change our world as we step into that. The great news is it's not all on us. It's God at work in us. It's for his glory, not our glory. This is what God has called us into. And as we step more and more into this, I believe we will be carrying out our mission, which is to inspire people to follow Jesus and fearlessly change the world. Now, what we're going to do right now, I'm going to invite the worship team to come on up. We're going to take communion together. And one of the things that we do here at Mission Life as we take communion is we stand up 
and we walk over to the communion stations wherever they will be. And I believe there will probably be one up here. There will probably be one in the back. And if you're a follower of Jesus, this is for you. So what is communion? Communion is a way in which we remember what Jesus has done on our behalf. Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, he took a cup and he said, take this cup. This is a sign of my new covenant, my new way of having a relationship with you. And it's all because of me shedding blood for the forgiveness of your sins. Take this and remember what I've done for you. And then he takes the bread and he breaks and he said, this is my body given for you. Take this in remembrance of me because of what I've done for you. And so right now I'm going to invite you after I pray to feel free to pray, connect with God. And when you feel ready, come up and partake of communion in the back.